Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. It's Friday, and that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup, where we break down some of the biggest local news of the week. The schools uh, suffered through a decade of cuts, of privation, of freezes and furloughs, while the city had relative health. We put a very generous offer on the table, both in compensation, staffing positions, investment in uh, early learning, investments in uh, school infrastructure. New documents finally released in the Laquan McDonald police shooting case. After years of fighting, the documents have finally been made public. I'm Donna Moore, and I'm running for Cook County State's Attorney because the change we need starts with defeating Kim Fox. Well, I almost sent a tweet back that said, uh, there's not enough characters in Twitter for me to be able to respond to the multiple um, things that he said that were wrong and false. Around the table to discuss those stories and more are Better Government Association CEO David Greising, Crane Chicago business government and politics reporter A.D. Quigg, and WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky. Amanda started things off with the backstory of this Twitter spat between the mayor and Texas Senator Ted Cruz. You had Texas Senator Ted Cruz tweeting about gun control and using Chicago as evidence that it doesn't work is what he tweeted. And he got a clap back tweet back from the mayor saying, keep our name out of your mouth, which I'll admit is a line that I might have to pull out from time (laughs) to time. I like that one. Um, But it didn't end. It continued into a back and forth over social media where each side kind of tried to prove their point there. And the mayor really saying that much of this is to be attributed to Congress not taking appropriate common sense gun laws is how she put it. When again, Cruz's contention is that that doesn't work and you've got to get those nasty criminals off the street. Of course, this comes after yet another shooting that left, I believe, seven people dead in Texas. And she blamed the lack of action in Congress on, quote, coward Republicans. It's really unfortunate to see this be such a partisan issue. I guess it's unavoidable in a way. And of course, Mayor Lightfoot blamed our neighboring Republican-dominated states uh, for a lot of the handguns that make their way into the city of Chicago. And even, I think, on her Twitter feed posted evidence of some of these uh, reclaimed guns, where they come from, Indiana in particular, she was citing. So it really was quite a dust-up on Twitter over a, a really sensitive and important And issue. it shows, in part, why it is that there hasn't been any action, any consensus because of just that, there is a uh, sort of visceral reaction from both sides, and it gets quite snarky. There's very uh, there's uh, both sides taking defense in their deep-seated, deep-rooted positions. And, A.D., we, we keep seeing Chicago right. centered in these arguments. Right. And we all remember earlier this summer when the mayor kind of got into it with Ivanka Trump over gun statistics. And both of those spats came after honestly, violent weekends in Chicago. This is a bigger problem where we are getting distracted by the back and forth between politicians and Twitter wars as opposed to talking about solutions. Some of the data that Ted Cruz threw out there are basically comparing Chicago to the other top five cities with homicides. And, and Chicago's number, if I'm not mistaken, was about double the next closest city. Sure, but per capita, when you work it out, Chicago's lower on the list. But again, these are like, let's talk about the real issues as opposed to 
arguing over statistics. Solve it. Nobody yeah. should be dying, period. Right. period. Well, the sparring between Lightfoot and Cruz came on the tail end of a violent Labor Day weekend in the city. At least 44 people were shot, nine fatally, and CPD deployed fewer officers on the street than last year, 1,000 this year to last year's 1,400. A.D., how does Superintendent Eddie Johnson explain the decision to have fewer officers on the street? So they've tried a variety of different ways to kind of get at this problem. Superintendent Johnson has talked a lot about uh, weekend violence, parties, and how difficult they are to attack. And part of that has to do with shift changes in CPD that are taken advantage of sometimes by criminals. This is also a stunning stat, given that CPD has spent so much more on overtime. I think the Sun-Times came out with a report this week that said they're spending $67.6 million in the first six months alone on overtime, despite the fact that CPD has the biggest rank and file numbers it's had in 10 years. This is something Mayor Lightfoot says she's getting on uh, the superintendent about in upcoming budget negotiations. Justify this headcount that you have. Tell me how you could be more nimble, how we might break up some of these special units to be a little bit more uh, light on our feet and, and adapt and respond to violent weekends like these. I mean, I want you all to put this into some context for us, because this is an ongoing issue that Mayor Lightfoot has been talked about on the campaign trail. Police superintendent, uh, A.D. Johnson, has talked about it quite a bit, about some of the barriers they feel they're facing to addressing um, gun violence. But at the end of the day, Chicago residents want to see results. So, Dave, I'll come to you here first. What is at stake for Superintendent Johnson how quickly does he need to be able to respond to some of the mayor's questions and and to seeing some real solutions? I think it's vitally important to his future in this position. Um, The mayor, after a summer such as we've had, now she and the city will bring out statistics saying it's not as bad as these weekend outbursts seem to make it see. Uh, The numbers are, in fact, down over last year and well down from 2016, which was a the horrible high watermark in recent times. The problem for Eddie Johnson is that he uh, has made what would appear to be some bad calls. You know, not having that many people on the streets, and then having and having said before Labor Day weekend that kind of like more or less the summer's over. We don't worry about Labor Day weekend that much. Those weren't his words, but the the message was something like we're, we're not we're, we're okay. not going to flood the zone like we did in the same numbers last year. Right. And and to do that and then have a weekend such as we had, you do have to question that judgment. Obviously, after the fact, we're questioning that judgment, which may not be fair to him, but it's his job to make good judgments. I would not have wanted to be him in that accountability meeting with the mayor on to, uh, uh, this week. So if the mayor is going to make a change at, in the leadership levels of the Chicago police force, this would be a time to do it as opposed to, say, waiting till next summer. Right. She did say... During the campaign, she was asked multiple times, do you want to keep Eddie Johnson on the job? And she said it would be irresponsible to remove him from this position as we head into summer. So the summer's over. I'm sure it's it's on her mind to kind of evaluate how this summer went and what kind of evidence she's seeing from the superintendent to improve these numbers. And that's that publicly, there hasn't been any true sign of fissure. I mean, she stands next to him. They have accountability meetings. They meet with the press thereafter and stand side by side. And she has continually said, as really has he, uh, that Again, there are these parties that break out, these pockets that it's difficult to figure out just where and when that is going to happen. That the, And then they do, it, just as you said, David, they roll out the stats that show 
the numbers aren't as bad as they were in the past, but then say, I'm still not happy with it. That's sort of the public face. You're listening to the Morning Shifts Friday News Roundup, where we catch you up on the week's biggest news in Chicago and across the state. With me to help break down those stories is our Friday News Roundup panel, WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky, Better Government Association CEO David Greising, and Crane Chicago business government and politics reporter A.D. Quigg. Some other stories we're following today. Some Illinois law Lawmakers want to ban e-cigarettes after dozens of cases of serious illnesses linked to vaping, including one death in Illinois. Meanwhile, Michigan, our neighbor, became the first state to ban the sale of flavored e-cigarettes and vaping products. The American Vaping Association vows to fight a ban in Illinois. And a new study found that the Obama Presidential Center could price residents out of the surrounding neighborhoods. Even though there's been no official groundbreaking of the center, the UIC study shows housing prices have risen within two miles of the planned location in Jackson Park, and that housing prices in the area are rising at a faster rate than the city average. Well, let's turn to the city budget. Last week, the mayor gave a primetime speech addressing the city's massive $838 million dollar budget deficit. There was a lot of questions around where we would land on that number. That's where we are. Uh, This week, Mayor Lightfoot held the first of four public town halls asking residents to weigh in on ways to make up the budget shortfall. Aidy, how did that go? It was fun to watch. I did not attend in person, but I watched on the live stream. It was at the Copernicus Center on the northwest side. And you saw Lightfoot's entire team sitting across the stage. They gave this budget presentation, which laid out in wonderful bleak charts just how... Um, wonderful bleak charts. Wonderful bleak charts. I mean, <laughs> the colors were beautiful. The pension obligation is very large. Um, and then it followed with a, a very long Q&A where folks uh, basically got up and had a minute and 30 seconds to say, here's what you should and shouldn't do in the budget. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot took notes. Uh, folks from her budget team took notes, answered questions. Mayor Emanuel and Mayor Daly both did this, but it was fun for me to see the back and forth, which she has already established in these city council meetings during public comment. She will respond back to people. There's three left. I'm sure the tone might shift depending on location, but one thing that we heard was a focus on affordable housing and no more property taxes. And and the theatrics were different in this than they had been with both Mayor Daly and Rahm Emanuel. Emanuel famously stormed out of one of these community meetings and, and I think only held two of them during his eight years as mayor. Rich Daly as mayor would do this with his Oh, we'd have like 20 people, right. yeah. Mm. And, and he basically was like the, the MC. He would throw all the questions, answers to his staff, which told you something about how much in the details he was not in the running of the city. Uh, but she's, she is a combative person. And uh, whether you're a former finance committee chair, Ed Burke, who gets a smackdown in her opening uh, city council meeting, or you are somebody who comes to a feedback session in the community, she... She treats people pretty much the same, and and uh, she really took umbrage when somebody accused her of, of this being kind of a dog and pony show, and she is trying to make the point that this is genuine. She's really out there listening for information. She put out a survey for people to respond to, et cetera. She does seem to want to absorb some of what is being said here. Which is a smart move on her part as she t- determines it, whatever the calculus is going to be for the budget and for her own political future, of course, that said, none of the choices. If you looked at those beautiful and bleak charts, you're going to see right away that there are not really any good options. I believe that somebody suggested, you know, everybody giving their extra pennies, pennies and putting yeah. them into the, which is a, a really 
sweet notion, but that ain't going to do it. How high would that stack of pennies have to be? That's, that's, I was trying, kind of wondering. I'm, I'm a, a credit little, card girl. Like, so I don't even have them anymore. Scrooge McDuck room yeah. full of pennies. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the options that, that are on the table. Um, one thing uh, Mayor Lightfoot mentioned was this idea of congestion pricing and whether this is a way to raise some much-needed revenue for the city. And, and Amanda, just remind us of how that would work theoretically. It could work in any number of ways, and we don't have an answer to that because the mayor hasn't actually laid out what it is that she wants to do. Anything from just a higher tax on parking so that you deter folks from driving their cars into the heart of the city? Or would it be something like once you enter? I mean, I know each of you have done stories because other cities, of course, have implemented something like this. There's also you had rideshare drivers early on and during the campaign calling for the mayor to do something. They say there are too many rideshare drivers on the road. They don't want the competition and they're seeking to keep people that say live in Indiana and as they term it, you have the privilege of driving on and hurting, therefore, city streets that come in but don't pay anything for it. They're instead making money off of it. So there are a whole lot of ways that this could work. And it's interesting that she threw this out there and it's gotten so much attention in this kind of state of the city address. Following up with the mayor's office for a column I wrote uh, this week, it's evident that this is unlikely to be something that's going to help the city budget in 2020. And if you look around the world where this has been put in place, I think the fastest anywhere in the world it has been done was in Milan, which took, I think, three years. Uh, the city of New York is just now implementing a program, and that has taken them. There's been 20 years it's of been, discussion. Yeah, 10 years of 10 debate. years since Mayor Blasio Bloomberg. tried to float it and— yeah. Went nowhere, but right. there's so there's a few different ways that have that it's been done in other places. It's in London, Singapore, um, Stockholm, like you said, Milan. They basically can draw a line around the central business district and use tolling to charge people, and that can either be um, license plate readers. It could be like the stuff you'd see on a toll road, and you'd use an iPass to get charged maybe two or three dollars to enter and exit the central business district. There's also variable pricing on the expressways. The Mayor Lightfoot has talked about how bad congestion is on the expressways, but the, the thing about taking money from the expressways is they are state-owned roads, and they're also lockboxed. So, and tra- explain that lockbox. So if you tax money from transportation, that money then has to be spent on transportation, can't be used for anything else. So it couldn't go into filling the city's Pension, big, big or... bleak budget hole. And the, the other thing is, do you just go after the central business district or in Chicago where you have these pockets of gridlock mm-hmm. around the Goose Island area, for example? And when Lincoln Yards goes in, that's going to that's one of the big concerns about Lincoln Yards. So there are a lot of really tough decisions to be made here. There's also an equity aspect. Uh, the fees in London have been quite uh, quite a bit higher, in you know twenty dollar range or more. That affects different people from different economic strata a lot differently. With the Mayor Lightfoot's equity agenda, uh, she's going to have to look carefully at that part of it as well. Well, two of the other options we've heard a lot of discussion about, of course, are Chicago Casino and legalized marijuana. But again, slow, slow. Neither of those are going to give you know money in the next few months or maybe even this fiscal year. Mm-hmm. So what options does that leave for the mayor? 
There's the old favorite, borrowing. <laughs> well, uh, she's reluctant to, to go in for a big borrowing plan that, you know, the, the $10 billion pension obligation bond idea that Rahm Emanuel had floated, she is not backing. Um, she also is adamant that she's not going to extend the life of the pension obligations because the credit rating agencies have said they will not allow her to do that, essentially. Um, she does expect some kind of part of the license fees if a Chicago casino does move forward. But of course, she needs to get action in Springfield during the veto session because the high tax rate of about 33% that was set for the Chicago casino has made it according to one study, economically infeasible, that no investor will come in in order to build that casino. So as, as we're all indicating, um, her options on the revenue side are very limited other than uh, the one that everybody keeps waiting to hear about, which would be a property tax. And she's... She take, said she's last resort, right, but exactly. it's not off the table. But this right. is also happening at a time when there's some concern about the health of our economy. There was very modest job growth in August. So we all of that kind of has to come into play for the mayor when she's trying to decide how to at least keep this the city financially stable while we're figuring this out. A.D.? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's I mean, we we talked about this all throughout the campaign. I remember saying, I don't know who would want this job. It's so huge and difficult to come in and make these tough choices while balancing equity, like we talked about, while balancing uh, stability, while keeping the rating agencies happy. It's just it's a lot, and there's not a ton of time. And part of the the interesting thing about the timing with Springfield is she'll have to introduce her budget before the veto session and then kind of see how that plays out. It's going to be an interesting fall. It's the Friday News Roundup on the Morning Shift. Our panel today includes WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky, Better Government Association CEO David Greising, and Crane Chicago business government and politics reporter A.D. Quigg. A few other stories we're watching. As I mentioned, U.S. employers added a modest 130,000 jobs in August. It's a sign that global economic weakness is possible, and President Trump's trade war with China may have begun to slow hiring. The job gains include 25,000 temporary government workers hired for the 2020 census. The National Weather Service is warning of dangerous conditions in Lake Michigan. We could see waves up to seven feet and strong rip currents from northwest Indiana to Lake County, Illinois, from three o'clock this afternoon through Saturday morning. Here in Chicago, the beach season has ended, so there are no lifeguards on duty and swimming is not allowed. And the Chicago Bears lost 10 to 3 in their season opener against the Green Bay Packers last night at Soldier Field. The Bears defense was strong, sacking Packers quarter back Aaron Rodgers five times, but the team struggled on offense. Their next game is September 15th against the Denver Broncos. Um, I want to quickly turn to a, a campaign promise Mira Lightfoot made specifically around the issue of transparency. Uh, she promised uh, to release the inspector general's records related to the Laquan McDonald case. He's the teenager who was shot and killed by former CPD officer Jason Van Dyke. This week, the judge who oversaw that case made a significant legal decision. Amanda, tell us what happened. Basically, the judge, and this is the same judge, Vincent Gaughan, that presided over the entire uh, trial of Jason Van Dyke, lifted what's called a decorum order, essentially making public a whole lot of motions and orders. From what I gather, uh, there was not, per se, any major information revealed in them, and they're still heavily redacted, particularly including information about Laquan McDonald's past that was seen as being private. But again, this this gets to the heart of the city has not released various documents, in part citing the decorum order, but also its own rules. So 
the jury is still out, if you will, on this one after Lightfoot had pledged transparency, needing to follow through with that, the media needing to hold her accountable for it. She plans to go forward with an ordinance in city council that she says will then allow for her to do so while still with with being in the scope of city rules. Well, Dave, we should say that Inspector General Joseph Ferguson has advocated for the release um, of his report. Um, this, uh, of course, that uh, led to the uh, recommendation of the dismissal of 11 officers. What kind of information can the public potentially glean from these records? And just how important is it that they be released? Well, the the Inspector General Ferguson's own remarks have indicated that there's more to the alleged cover-up of the Laquan McDonald shooting by Jason Van Dyke, uh, the police officer at the time who's now serving a, a jail time, that there may have been kind of an institutional aspect to the way that the police kind of uh, drew the you know the blue line uh, around any search for evidence here. And that's why these documents are so important. And uh, the mayor is kind of, she's kind of trying to thread the needle here between the commitments she made during the campaign, her legal obligation now that she's mayor, and this new ordinance that Amanda mentioned, which would enable the corporation council of the city to make a judgment as to whether certain records are in the public interest. That allows for a judgment call, which in some respects sounds good. Uh, but on the other hand, it depends a lot on who the corporation council and the mayor are, doesn't it, when you give those He's judgment making the calls. Judgment. Right. So if the mayor really does believe in the transparency rhetoric that she used during, during the campaign, and, and we do hope she is and some of the moves she's made indicate that she does, an even more aggressive approach to this sort of thing I think would be beneficial because whenever records are being withheld from the public, and especially in a high-profile case like this, it just contributes to a lot of cynicism and doubt about what actually happened. In other city news, the Chicago Teachers Union this week set a date for a strike vote. A.D., talk about where we are in these negotiations and you know, how likely it seems at this point that there may be a resolution or not. I wish I were in the room. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> but I, I was speaking to um, one education reporter who said, now things get interesting. Because hmm. we have, so we've set a, a, a date for a strike authorization vote between September 24th and September 26th with a possible strike date on October 7th. CTU tells me that the House of Delegates vote on this was packed. House of Delegates is about 800 teachers out of the 25,000 in in CPS, and that it was unanimous and overwhelming. CTU has asked for a 15% raise over three years and commitments from Chicago Public Schools to hire a certain number of social workers, nurses, librarians. CPS has come back and said, we'll give you 16% over five years and only a slight increase to to your health care costs. CTU is really, really driving for these social workers and nurses, but CPS says there aren't enough nurses and social workers in Illinois to be able to hire, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to start recruiting nurses and social workers and paying for some of them to go back and get their certification. But CTU is pressing on this hard because then they can enforce that going forward, these mandated minimum staffing requirements. It's it's an interesting battle, and we're going to learn a lot more in the days and weeks to come. And grow their own ranks and therefore right. grow their own power. Correct. Let's not forget. Not Correct. saying that it is about that. They, they say, of course, that this is very important for children when you have a student that gets sick in school and there's no nurse until, say, Thursday. And so there, there's plenty there. But right. always remember that when unions are at the table, as with the mayor's office, there's a political calculation. Well, certainly. And in the history here with uh, when Rahm Emanuel, you know, the first big 
problem he had as mayor was when the teachers union went out under Karen Lewis. You now have a new CTU president, Jesse Sharkey, who worked under Lewis and is, has a reputation as being a really strong-willed leader, just mm-hmm. as Karen Lewis was. It's useful to him uh, to, if not take his union out on strike, come awfully close to it. He's got to show that he's a strong leader. He can stand up to this new mayor, and he understands her vulnerabilities. I hope he also understands the economics that we were talking about earlier, because it could well be there's just not blood to wring out of this stone of the city budget. It, it's really difficult for the for the mayor. Uh, she doesn't have much wiggle room uh, beyond the offer that she has made. So this this is this does not look good. And and the enthusiasm we heard about from the from the strike vote would indicate um, the teachers are ready to walk But what out. we don't know is where, where the, the public, public will be. Exactly. Yeah. So while the, the teachers may be fired up after having gone to a strike, coming close to it, and everybody, as we talked about, being sick of being taxed, you have plenty of tax discussion left. Uh, when the teachers union says you're getting an extra billion dollars in that CPS budget due to state changes, we'll take that money. There's plenty. There's going to be something lost in the public when they say, wait a second, there, there's a, a spare billion dollars floating around that you can spend, but also you want me to pay more in property taxes, real estate transfer taxes, whatever the case it may be. The people, by and large, early in the strike under Karen Lewis and against Rahm Emanuel, the public was behind uh, the teachers. In this case, the mayor has an independent report that basically set her offer. She's basically within the guidelines of that independent report saying this is what would be a fair offer. So that is going to inform the way the public responds to a And she was point. overwhelmingly elected. It, no that's doubt. not to say that she's in a honeymoon period still, but nonetheless, she carries a lot of cachet with her in terms of how she performed in the election. And pe- people will focus on the 15% offer, you know, 16% uh, raise, which even though it's over five years, that sounds like a lot more than a lot of people in the working world are getting these days. CPS is claiming that's a like 24% overall increase uh, during the life of that contract for a person. That's that's a significant raise. Not a lot of employees can say they expect that over the next five years. Well, really quickly, the field of challengers up against uh, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox is starting to fill out. AD, who's joined the race? Oh, man. This is going to be a fun one to watch, and it might expand even more because we have just started the petition passing mm-hmm. season. So Donna Moore, who ran previously in 2016, a Democrat has gotten in, so she joins Kim Fox on the Democratic side and Bill Conway, who's our, our money candidate on the Democratic side, an independently wealthy family who is already spending a lot. Every time I search Kim Fox on Google, the first result I get is Bill Conway's website. New Day Conway. New Day Conway. <laughs> uh, we also have Republicans, uh, Pat O'Brien and Christopher Von Cook. It's been a while since we've had a Republican state's attorney, but we will see how this plays out because there's a lot of talk about politics in the office over the Smollett case and uh, how tough she's been on crime. All right. Before I let you go, I just want to quickly hear what other stories you'll be watching over the weeks to come. Amanda? I mean, the budget, the budget, the budget. I think that's really the the biggest answer that we can give at this point in time. <laughs> Dave, what about you? Yeah, it really is going to be dominating everything until the mayor comes out with uh, with what her plan will be. And the teacher's strike will be the other. That'll get a lot of and needs mm-hmm. a lot of attention. All right, Adia, give me the last word here. Ditto. And do the bears get any better? <laughs> <laughs> that's it for the Friday News Roundup. We've been speaking with A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business, David Greising of the Better Government Association, and Amanda Vinicky of WT. TTW. Thanks, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.
And that's it for today's morning shift. A fresh episode will be in your podcast feed when you wake up Sunday morning. Play it while you're scrambling some eggs or toasting that bagel. Until then, I'm Jen White from the entire morning shift team. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.